Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 220, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, electronic hall passes. Is it a new useful tool for schools, or are we tracking our students too closely? We'll discuss. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, our guest dives into the state of student mental health, and he tells us how school-based telehealth care can play an important role. Stay with us. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by a friend, Director of Curriculum and Instruction and co-host of this podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, are you counting down the days to summer yet, or is it too early? Well, I actually don't count down the days. I'm year-round. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're in the, the district office, right? And you guys... What, Correct. I mean, is there... There's got to be a little bit, like, of a window there. I guess you probably do a lot of conferences in the summer, too. Do you not? Um, I don't. We no. provide training for our teachers in-house. We have summer programs and going on at elementary and the high school. Um, there's a lot of preparation and planning that takes place for the new school year. And, you know, I take just a couple of days vacation. Yeah, I hear you. Got any good trips planned? I do. I'm going to Cabo. Oh, that's nice. I've never been. Yes. Going with my sorority sisters. It's going to be a grand time. Oh, that's awesome. Good to hear that. I know that's going to be a much uh, deserved break. I've got a um, story today that um, I guess I should have saw this coming as a technology person, guru. I I should have seen that this was eventually going to happen. Tell me if you've heard of these. Have you heard of e-hall passes yet? (laughs) I have. You have? Just a little bit. Do you all have them? We do not. We don't even have e-discipline referrals yet. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Okay. Well, so there's a company, you know, there's all these ed tech companies out there and there's um, a new one that is launching e-hall passes and there is some adoption and the district that is highlighted in this particular story is like citing the whole TikTok vandalism stuff, which we've talked about on the show in the past as a reason to like adopting a digital hall pass in their school. What are your first thoughts before I kind of dive into the details of it? Well... I think, of course, anything that reduces paper, um, that makes you more efficient and has you work smarter instead of harder is fantastic. So I guess I would need to know, you know, the logistics, what it would require, um, how financially, you know, sound it is. But I would really be interested in that. But I just got to put this plug in here first. I want to make sure that this fantastic tool does not allow us to kind of, you know, get lax and and allow children up and down the hallways. We need to protect instructional time. (laughs) Well, and so, uh, okay, I'm glad you brought that out. If there's any critics, it has to do with privacy. I think, well, let me explain. Here's some of the things you can do with it. So they, they highlighted this public school system in New Kensington, Pennsylvania. It's the... Um, New Kensington Arnold School District. So what it allows them to do with this device is like a teacher, all, all the students already have iPads issued um, one-to-one in their school. So they all have iPads and then they have this app, I guess, on their iPad. And they basically go up to a teacher and they're like, I want to go to the bathroom. And then the teacher can somehow with the app approve 
yes, you can go to the bathroom and here's how much time you have, two minutes, five mm. minutes, whatever. And then it mm-hmm. immediately starts a countdown. So that's like at its surface. Like you, So now you're walking around the, the hall with your iPad to go to the restroom and another teacher can be like, hey, let me see your hall pass. And you see like the teacher can clearly see the countdown. So it's a little sanitary uh, question that I have. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, you're talking to a guy who's like carried a drink into a bathroom at a ball game, you know. But well, I, I guess after this, all of the things we've changed because of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. No, that 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 is a fair point. Um, that the other thing that kind of goes next level with using technology is you can have the software prevent a pass from being issued while another student who has a history of meeting up with that student in the hallway um, <laughs> is out in the hallway. So basically it'll be like, this student can't go because Susie's already roaming in the halls and we don't want them to meet up in the bathroom. And I think that is clever. It, it, so I was, I was curious what, what your thoughts were. Is that's not too much? You feel like that's something that no. happens and it could stop well, we, the problem. Yeah, yeah. We, we do that now, try to make notes, try to you know, uh, track children, groups of children, problems and things like that. So that's a, a, a more efficient way of trying to eliminate some of the inappropriate behavior that takes place with children who are not in the same class that meet up. You know, you have some, if you really just was a fly on the wall, I bet you would see at least one kid um, that is out of the classroom at the same time every day. Somehow it just happens. So another thing that software can do that humans may struggle with is it can catch trends and maybe like mm-hmm. repeat hall pass askers um so you can mm-hmm. it can at least raise a red flag like johnny's asked every day for the past five days um to go to the bathroom at this time and it'll at least let the teacher know so they can make a more informed decision on whether or not they approve that pass so i i do like that the other thing that i wonder if it now what happens when the if the teacher gives them three minutes to go to the restroom what happens when that three minutes is up is there a timer a buzzer. You would think that it would flag. I mean, it would be very simple to basically send a push notification to the teacher. Like, hey, this, okay. this student, it doesn't say that specifically in here, but I mean, I can't imagine it not. Now, let me tell teacher. you why that's cool. Because if you have a classroom full of engaged children, you have a fantastic lesson going on. You know learning is happening. But then you've got to try to remember that Johnny has three minutes at the bathroom. That can really distract you and take away from everybody else's learning. Mm-hmm. So I, I do like that. And then even the fact of being, hap- you know, having to stop and write a pass that you have to have their first and last name, your name has to be there, the date, the time, where they're going. It's just so many things that, you know, you have to have on there. Um, I do think that that would save some instructional time, even save just minutes off of the teacher doing sidebars, especially when you have some children who, you know, have medical situations or, um, you know, just reasonable issues to, that need to get to the restroom. You can do it quick, zip. No one really knows what, what you're putting um, in the iPad that you're entering. And um, I do kind of like that. And it, it's private. All right. On the on the flip side, uh, somebody who works with a uh, child, child rights um, organization uh, raises the concern about privacy. And she says, once we start tracking kids throughout their day, is there already in place specific guidelines for what is considered worthy of disciplinary action and what is not? So in other words, like, might we over discipline now that we have all this data at our fingertips? And do you see that? No, as a what I see 
would need to happen is you would need to make sure that your protocols and procedures are shored up. You would need to be able to have conversations, remind them of expectations. Um, but you know, you already try to track that information. You're just not, it's just not reliable because you're trying to remember it as you're trying to teach a classroom full of children. So I think that it can be helpful. And then is concerned. We're already tracking children. Mm -hmm. We're tracking their attendance. We're tracking their tardies. We're tracking their discipline referrals. We're tracking their test scores. We're tracking submission of homework, books that are checked out. So yeah. And I got news for everybody. Your local law enforcement is tracking you as you drive by up and down the road all the time, too. I mean, we're all being tracked now in some way. Well, so. guess what? There's something you 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 might want to do a show on one time. Uh, I want you to take some time after our show today and look up what's called Bright Bites. Um, it's kind of pushed down from the State Department. And what it does is it monitors our usage of different things that we're using within our school district. Um, you can tell if something is being used efficiently. So then is it cost effective? Um, if it's not, but more importantly, just the usage. And so like, give me an example, all, like, like just software. Um, Yes, software. So for example, we use um, SAMS for our student management system. Uh -huh. So they can see how often that we're, we're using it. And technically, it should be every single day um, to take attendance and to track different things for um, students, uh, different software pieces for curriculum. Um, are we using it or are we purchasing it every year and it's just sitting on the shelf or should I say wow. just sitting on your desktop? So lots of things are already being tracked. So you see this software as a way to save money and not spend on needless software, right? Bright I Bites. do. Okay, that's interesting. I'm going to have to look into that. I had not heard of that company. All right, so I'm going to switch gears to a, a different topic because we seem to be doing good on time so far. Um, this one's out of the Texas Tribune. The headline is, Texas teachers say they're pushed to the brink by a law requiring them to spend dozens of hours unpaid in training. And it all goes back to a 2019 law passed by the Texas legislators that say um, kindergarten through third grade teachers in Texas have until 2023 to complete a 60-hour reading academies course to keep the, their job. And it looks like it's even taking some teachers as much as 120 hours, but they have to do it on their own time. And, and really, that's the conversation I want to have. I mean, I, I think what the intention is probably good. Most would agree, like, we want to improve reading scores. We need more training. But it's that that whole thing about teachers having to do it on their own time is that common or um i'm not going to say it's common but i'm also not going to say that it's far-fetched so here's the thing does it impact their licensure and if so then technically we're responsible for on our own time to get professional development which allows us to enhance our skill and renew our license so that's one perspective the other though is it the school district requiring it so it's just something they want to do to improve no, the their instruction so if it's the state then it's tied to licensure and i have to be honest with you we are responsible for renewing our licenses here's what i want some clarity on though it's just the k3 teachers that are required to do this yeah apparently so because just like you know we well, have that's the, the early gate. literacy group right yes exactly yeah. and i think this is kind of texas answer you know we had our own thing about you don't go beyond third grade and unless you have mm -hmm. certain scores i think this is kind of their answer to to make sure that all students are reading and how many years do they have to complete it? So say if I'm graduating um, this May, I'm becoming a teacher, how many years do I have to complete it? Or well, do I have to complete it before? I don't know that exact, exact answer. I do know that this law was passed in 2019, and then it okay. was like so all they've teachers... they've had a few years. Right. All teachers have to do it, but then it was like the pandemic was in the middle, and I think teachers didn't do it, and now it's coming up fast. And, and really, the, the, the tone of the story is... 
we already have a teacher shortage and teachers are, are kind of like, I don't have time to do this and I'm not going to do this when I'm not getting paid. Well, I'm going to quit being a teacher. And that's, there's several interviews in there. About you're that. probably not going to expect me to say this, but truth be told during the two years of the very beginning part of the, the pandemic, we had more time in our hands than we've ever had. Yeah. So I'm, tell me why they didn't complete the online training. And, and it does. It, and also in the defense of the state, I guess, in the districts, it does say, um, they use January 4th as like an extra day, I guess, coming out of the yeah. Christmas break to where it was like, yeah. go work on this. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess some teachers didn't. I mean, I, I'm i not really in a position to to weigh in on no, this because I'm not a teacher, but I kind of hear where you're just, coming from. Yeah, but I also think this is the time that we're living in now is to rebel, is to reject um, a lot of these things because education, it's a hot topic right now. And mm-hmm. the, the teacher, the teaching profession, it's in limbo right now. There's a lot of questions about, you know, what's going to happen in the next three to five as we are already seeing, you know, a, a lot of, um, negative impact from the teacher shortage. But let's be clear, stick to, stick to, you know, focus. This is for licensure. This is for your skill. This is to improve teaching and learning for children. Yeah. Yeah, we, we make a commitment to continue our learning. So I'm a little shocked that they didn't take care of it. Um, but here's something else that I would do as a district like we're doing now. Did they set up any opportunities for teachers to do it in district? No, I did not see anything like that other than just saying, like, we'll give you this extra day yeah. off. But I don't see anywhere in there. So it's like, maybe oh, we had a, yeah. that's. Yeah, maybe that's a little of their frustration. Maybe it would have helped if there had been a satellite session offered in the cafeteria after school. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to stand on my ground and tell you that um, meeting licensure requirements for your state as a teacher is expected and understood. Well, good. Well, I appreciate your perspective on that, Christina. I'm going to link both of these articles in our show notes if somebody wants to get more details on them. Uh, Are you ready for today's Bright Idea? I am. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is an expert on child health access. Dr. Travis Gales is the Chief Health Officer of Hazel Health, which partners with schools to provide school-based telehealth care. Today, he's going to offer some perspective on student mental health. Dr. Gales, thank you for joining us on Class Dismissed. Thank you, Nick. Glad to be here. I should point out before we um, dive too much into student mental health and, and what you're doing with Hazel Health, the past couple of years before you switched over to Hazel Health, you had a very challenging job. You were Montgomery County, Maryland's chief of public health service. When you took that job years before COVID, did the idea of guiding your community through a deadly pandemic really ever cross your mind? So the short answer is no, but the long answer is, you know, those of us in public health uh, trained for that moment uh, from the beginning. Uh, And I think back to uh, when I was at the University of Illinois, I used to teach the introduction to public health course And the final project for the course was a pandemic response, like a simulated pandemic. And the students had to put together the pieces of what they learned throughout the semester to come up with a response. So it's something we train for. But to the other part of the question is you can never prepare for it. And uh, it's not something that any of us truly thought that we would ever have to go through during our careers. Uh, you kind of lead me to my next question, and we could probably do a whole podcast just on this, but here, here's a guy who, like you said, you know, you talk, learned about this in school, you taught about it. It, it. This is a textbook thing. Did it play out like a textbook thing that when you reflect on the past few years? 
Well, from the early stages of the response, it did play out in terms of a textbook because uh, everyone, uh, it hit everyone equally. And, you know, this was not something that anybody had ever lived through before. And so in the early stages where there was a dearth of information, everyone was scrambling to piece together as much of a comprehensive response as they could. And we relied heavily on the training that we had, the uh, the exercises that we had had done to practice for this and prepare. And so that got things moving in the early stages as best as possible. Uh, but certainly as we continue to move forward, lots of other variables were introduced that, you know, kind of shake that objective core that you get from your training and preparation. Um, let me ask a question that this might be a little challenging to answer, but I know, you know, now you're working with schools with, with Hazel Health and, and now that you've had some time to breathe and reflect a little bit about all the work you did back over with Montgomery County during the pandemic. I mean, it's easy to always second guess yourself, but I guess what I'll say is when you look at how public policy handled bringing kids back to the classroom, do you think the right decisions were made? Do you think we should have gotten kids back to the classroom sooner? Do you think it was right to hold them back? Is, is that too broad of a question? Well, it's, it's tricky. No one has a right answer to that because as None of us, again, have, have lived through this before. And in every instance, I think most administrators tried as, in as best faith as possible to do what was right from the perspective of keeping kids safe, keeping teachers safe, keeping families safe from the physical health and the infectious disease perspective. Uh, but, you know, recognizing that that would create some challenges in terms of the impact that would have on children. And, you know, we do spend a lot of time talking about the impact that, that COVID and the pauses in schools, pauses and other activities have had on kids. But let's just extrapolate. It's had a huge impact on adults as well in terms of interrupting our normal routines and, and life as we thought uh, as, yeah, normal life as we thought before the pandemic. So I think in, in the overwhelming majority of situations, folks tried to do the best they could with what they had, recognizing that there were no easy answers. And, you know, choices in one direction would have unintended consequences in others. And so I just think that, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but in the instance where you had to make very quick decisions in a short amount of time, dealing with a short amount of information, I think most people did what they thought was best for for not only the children, but their whole entire communities as a whole. Uh, and for those that were listening uh, carefully, when I said you, you're now working with Hazel Health and you guys are working with schools and, and you know working on uh, student mental health and reaching out, and I guess remotely uh, when needed, um, I am understanding all that right in terms of Hazel Health's uh, mission, right? Yes. So Hazel Health, uh, we provide physical health and mental health services uh, through a telehealth platform that is primarily utilized through the schools. Uh, families who have children in districts who participate in the program are also able to utilize the platform in their home as well. And uh, one thing to, to tie that back to, to COVID, if you will, a little bit, uh, even though COVID has uh, presented early on and continues to pre present numerous challenges for us in terms of how we deliver services, it also forced us to kind of push the envelope in terms of being more innovative mm -hmm. in terms of how we provide services to the broader community. I think of telehealth, for example, telehealth was not something that 
was widely supported uh, in terms of being heavily utilized by medical practices, school settings, and not something that was heavily supported and reimbursed from a payer perspective before. And then you introduce COVID where we, we sharply reduced the amount of in-person interactions And we said, hey, this could be a very effective tool in terms of continuing to make sure that people got services, even if they weren't able to interface in person on a regular basis. Yeah, I think that is definitely a silver lining to all of this. I mean, and and you're kind of talking about it, I guess, from the perspective of healthcare and education, but even just as a consumer, like it normalized the idea of a doctor talking to me through a computer and me being comfortable with that, you know? And, And, you know, by doing so, that helped in some ways, there's still a long way to go, but it helped cut through a lot of the physical barriers that prevented people from being able to get services. So you think about if I've got to take off from work to go see my provider, you know, whatever type of service that is, you know, I've got to factor in, well, how long does it take to get there from a transportation perspective? Do I need to take off from work? How much time am I missing? If it's a kid who needs to get, uh, you know, some type of clinical services, how much time are they missing from the classroom or missing from school because they've got to go physically to that appointment? Uh, and so telehealth has introduced a great opportunity to cut through a lot of those barriers that prevented people from being able to access the many services that are out there to help them. Working with Hazel Health, I imagine you see different data and you guys look at a lot of things in terms of student mental health. I guess the simplistic way of, of putting this question is, are the kids all right? Like, is there data that says the kids aren't doing well, they are doing well. Well, there's been lots of recent reports from the, the Surgeon General's report to other anecdotal pieces and studies out there that have shown a huge light on uh, a growing uh, epidemic of itself in terms of mental health concerns with children. Uh, those of us in public health know very clearly, though, that there were significant issues that children faced before the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. And as it relates to mental health services, there was significant lack of inpatient and outpatient resources for children who had mental health needs identified. We saw then, again, this was pre-COVID, kids who presented frequently to the emergency room for mental health concerns because they didn't have anywhere else to go. And then when they were in the emergency room setting, there weren't a lot of places to place them. And so they often had to uh, spend multiple nights in an emergency room setting because there was nowhere to send them to get the follow-up services that they needed. And so those types of things existed before COVID. And then you introduce COVID where we've had this phenomenon that, again, that no one has ever had to live through that further exacerbated those issues. And so as we continue to move, hopefully, into a post-COVID space, we've got all of those kids who needed services before. We've got a lot of kids who've had to live through the last couple of years in terms of those interruptions to their daily lives who are signaling uh, need for attention and need for services. But at the same time, the number of providers hasn't significantly gone up and the number of resources within the community to address those issues hasn't increased as well. And so that's why, you know, We're excited that there is this larger conversation about how to provide services, or you could could think of them, you know, as you said, before COVID, they were considered to be non-traditional services, Mm -hmm. but things like telehealth and telemedicine that can extend the number of resources that children and families have access to, as well as create some low barrier 
entry points for them to be able to access services. All right. So let's walk through like a real world scenario of w- what you guys would do with the district that you're, you're teamed up with. Um, you know, and, and I'll speak to say something that happened in my community a few years ago. We had tragically, I think it was four students within like a two year span that committed suicide at our high school. And it's hard for teachers and administrators to know how to handle that, how to recognize the red flags, how to have those conversations. And, and, you know, there's a stigma around it. They maybe don't talk about it enough. I mean, so like what can Hazel Health do with a district to to help identify those students, have those conversations and make things better? Well, the first thing is, I think so much of how we view mental health in children is most of our systems that are set up to address mental health issues in the pediatric population are reactive. And one of the things that we are working to do at Hazel is to build a culture of prevention around mental health. So you think about it, when we, when we talk to children each year, they come in to see their health provider, we tell them, go get a, a physical health checkup every year. Get your teeth checked up every year. Get your vision and your hearing screened every year mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that they work properly and that you're growing appropriately and you're healthy. We don't have the same approach around mental health. And so unfortunately, a lot of times, the first time that we are, are seeing that a child needs help manifest in a crisis situation where unfortunately it is a suicide attempt or they it is a suicide Um, or they're exhibiting some type of other behavior that is detrimental to their health and their well-being. And so at Hazel, we promote the approach of how can we increase access to mental health services so we're meeting children where they are and we're able to potentially identify that need and concern for the child to get help and get linked to resources before it presents in a crisis situation. So the way our platform works is, again, we, we're a telehealth platform. We partner with districts to provide the service. And one of the important things to emphasize is, is in that partnership with a district, we make sure that any of the students who are part of that school and a part of that school district have access to our services, regardless of their insurance status, regardless of their ability to pay. Anyone who is a student within the district can uh, take advantage of the resources that we have. As it relates to our mental health team, uh, students can uh, self-refer, parents can refer, or teachers and staff can refer students who have an identified need. And our staff will meet with them to do an initial assessment and intake to determine uh, the scope of their needs and the type of services that would best fit and address the child's uh, particular needs. And then we're able to connect them to uh, 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 service providers uh, with who are, are part of the Hazel team to provide uh, that early counseling, those early counseling services uh, to identify and address their needs. And Within that, our team also works to identify other potential barriers that might be impacting the child's ability, uh, that might be causing their symptoms or impacting the family's ability to seek care. And, you know, you hear lots of people talk about it in the context of social determinants of health. So our team also works to identify those and connect the child and their family to those resources to help remove those particular things that might be impacting the child and the family. It's important to note, I mentioned that we also provide physical health services. Our physical health providers and our mental health providers 
see this as a whole child, not just we do mental health or physical health. And so, for example, even if a child comes in with a physical health type concern, uh, if there is reason to believe there are some mental health concerns there, our physical health providers can ask questions uh, to get more information to determine if the child might need it to uh, might need to be linked to those uh, mental health services for further support. Because one thing that we know in children is they don't always come right out and say, "Hey, I have a problem," or "I have stress," or "I'm anxious about something." That might manifest in a a headache that is frequent or a belly ache that's frequent. Um, or some otherwise unexplained interruption to their daily routines. Uh, and that might be their way of signal- signaling to us that they need someone to talk to and they need some help. Well, and and you started that answer with something that I loved. You were saying like, you know, we, we have our, our students go through these regular physical exams, but not necessarily the mental ones. And, and I think of like my kids and they want to play on a sports team. They've got to go get this physical, right? But no one ever asked them how they are mentally uh, during that process. And is that something that, that you think should be happening? I mean, should that be added? If you want to join the football team, you have to go through a certain questionnaire. Or is it not that s- simple to, to identify those mental health challenges? I think it should be a part of, you know, standard uh, routine visits. For example, when you go in for that yearly physical or that yearly assessment, you know, you're being asked, you know, hey, you know, how are things at school? How do you feel about, um, you know, growing up? Are there any particular pressures that are causing you any stress or anxiety? I think normalizing it as a part of the regular healthcare encounter will also help normalize it in conversations where, you know, kids are having conversations with their peers or also create and also creating spaces within the school setting or the home setting and community setting where we have safe spaces where children feel comfortable being able to ask those questions and find out more information about how they might be feeling um, and where they can get help if they do have some concerns. What's the the model for Hazel Health? Are you guys um, kind of serving as the middleman between local healthcare providers? If, if a district hires you and says, you know, we want access to the stuff, are, are you going to find a team of people, or do you have your own team of people that directly communicates with the district's needs? Hazel works uh, with districts directly to provide those services. So all of the staff that I mentioned from our family resource managers who perform a case management type role Mm -hmm. to our clinical providers who actually provide those physical and mental health services are all a, a formal part of the Hazel team. Now, we see ourselves as when we we partner with a district and work in a community we don't see ourselves, again, you know, taking over operations. We see ourselves as being a connector and a bridge to services. So in addition to working closely with the schools, we also work closely with community entities uh, because we recognize that there are many longstanding resources and in communities, including health providers, uh, social support agencies, and known known entities that people, families trust within those communities. And so we see ourselves as a bridge to those particular services. So if a child comes in and has an identified need, we also work to address that in the short term immediately and then work to say, hey, you know, do you have a medical home 
and someone that you see regularly for your health care? And if not saying, you know, here are some resources within your community to do that. If a child comes in and already has a medical home and has a provider, our staff will conduct the visit and then, you know, provide a call to their provider to update them and let them know that they were seen for a warm handoff of care and handoff of services. And so that's the approach we take. Uh, we, again, ultimately, our goal is to meet kids where they are and meet their immediate needs, as well as do some of that long-term planning, which includes working with those existing networks within communities to get children and families coordinated and linked to. Is there a story you could share with us that made you kind of say, man, this is, this is why I'm doing this? Like, you know, we really helped this student in this way. Well, I think there's a, there's a large issue. I would say uh, there's two. The first one is why I chose to leave the public sector and, and join Hazel. Uh, as you referenced in COVID, we saw so many huge disparities in terms of outcomes, but there was just an exacerbation of those pre-existing gaps in terms of who had access to services. Mm -hmm. And even when, you know, you could have a super wonderfully well thought out program that was in place that people still did not have access to because of transportation, because of, you know, the services were only offered doing business hours and families, you know, had to work and, you know, mom and dad couldn't get off from work because they were paid hourly and they didn't have paid leaves and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So there were other things that complicated the ability for families to still be able to access well-meaning services that were provided. And this Hazel creates the opportunity that uh, at the core, the mission is to get, again, families connected to all those services. So ultimately a child can have a healthy physical outcome, a healthy mental outcome, and is not missing classroom time so that they can uh, have their full academic achievement, but also leveraging new technology and modern instruments such as telehealth to be able to step in and fill some of those gaps of access and make sure, again, that we're seeing kids sooner uh, than later and that we're potentially curbing and offsetting some of those crisis situations that might otherwise happen if the children didn't have access to services sooner. If somebody from a district's listening, they want to get more information, what's the best way to go about doing that? Uh, take a look at our website, uh, hazel.co, uh, that provides lots of information and uh, some anecdotal stories to talk about the power and impact within different districts. Uh, and to the second part of your question, there are too many numerous stories to talk about and share, both from a physical health perspective, as well as a mental health perspective, in terms of the impact of, of getting kids to services. One measure that I would throw out that we have been looking at is from the mental health perspective, in many districts across the country, the issue with mental health services is the wait time to being able to see a provider is so long. I think you look at the Surgeon General's report or numerous articles out there, it tells stories of anywhere from nine to 12 months of wait times. Uh, and one example that I could think of, we had a young child who lost a parent uh, due to COVID. And when they were going through the community network to receive services for grief support and, and coping, the child had to wait somewhere between nine to 10 months for yeah. those types of services. 
we were able to step in and see the child through the Hazel platform and working through the school within two, a two-week period and get that child connected to services. That's great. And again, uh, that website, I guess, is hazel.co. It's H-A-Z-E-L dot C-O. Um, you're listening to Dr. Travis Gales. Uh, doctor, we appreciate you taking the time to talk about this important issue of uh, student mental health with us. Um, are you ready for today's pop quiz? I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? History. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Life skills. What does every child deserve? The space to be their full, full, authentic self. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Mm. Balancing the needs of kids within um, resource-restrained environments. What's the best gift to give an educator? Time. Which teacher changed your life? Uh, there are too many to count. Uh, <laughs> Is, you, feel, uh, free, feel free to share a name. or Too many to count. I would say collectively, I was fortunate to have lots of teachers who believed in me and let me know that the scope of my world and opportunities I had available extended far beyond the physical place where I lived. Uh, last question. Which book did you read, love, and want to recommend to our listeners? My favorite book in elementary school was called Bridge to Terabithia. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, and then in high school, my favorite book was The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. I don't know that one. I'll have to look that up. What's that one about? Uh, it's, it's complicated, but ultimately it was about the, the development of self-love and valuing, uh, understanding the value of uh, inner beauty and how that relates to the rest of the world. Love it. Again, you're listening to Dr. Travis Gales. Uh, he is the chief health officer of Hazel Health. Uh, Dr. Gales, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, take care and be safe. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>